Well, good morning, Crosspoint. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be back with you. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 95, one of the most important psalms in the Bible, actually. If you look at the picture, the whole big picture of the Bible, Psalm 95 is very important. And we're going to look at Psalm 95. So turn in your Bibles. It's right. If you don't know where Psalms is, just take your Bible and open it to the very middle. And there's a real good chance you're going to land in Psalms if you do that. That's a trick I learned back when I was doing like, you know, those sword drills as a kid. And you'd get like candy if you won. Anyhow, Psalm 95 is where we're going to be looking this morning. The message for the next few weeks is, is going to be a series. It's because we want to begin a conversation. And John and I have been working together. We've been praying for this church. We've been praying about, you know, what does God want to do? here and now in this church. And we believe there's a very clear direction that God wants for our church. There's a very, very clear vision for right now in this season of our church. And do you know what that direction is? It's this way. It's, it's up. The direction, the calling, the vision is vertical. And that's why the next few weeks we're going to be talking about vertical living in a horizontal world. We live in a world where everything is horizontal. We're thinking about how I relate to you, how you relate to me. We're thinking about, oh, I, le I need to mow my lawn right now because yesterday we mowed the front but not the back and now I gotta mow the back and that's in our minds. We're thinking about bills that need to be paid. We're thinking about everything going on. Right now you're maybe thinking of the person sitting next to you and how strong their perfume is. That's kind of a nervous chuckle but it's actually a reality sometimes. We live in a horizontal world, but the direction God is calling us to go is vertical. To be thinking of him, to have a God-centered life. And that's what we want to look at this morning. You know, I was, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm so excited and grateful that the NFL has started, even though the Raiders lost their first game. I'm heartbroken. But I love that the NFL is back. I'm also a huge college basketball fan. And my favorite basketball team in college basketball is, is Duke. Duke University. Okay? A lot of you now hate me because of that. And I'm sorry. But listen, I've loved these guys since I was like in fifth grade. Okay? And I've been a huge fan. This year, we have a guy on our team. And I say R as though I have something to do with it. <laughs> Isn't that funny how we do that with sports? That's a whole nother message. But Duke has a player named Zion Williamson. Now this guy, Zion, how many of you have heard this name before? Zion Williamson. Okay, we have three basketball fans in the, whole, in the whole room. Okay, some of you have heard of this guy, Zion Williamson. He's a phenom. He's an absolute physical phenomenon. And here's, here, I'll show you a picture. Here's this guy. And he weighs about 285 pounds. If you can dim the lights a little bit so they can see that a little better. He weighs 285 pounds, which is even more than I weigh. Now listen, they were at Duke University this summer, and they were doing these drills with their players. And all these guys are like, you know, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". Some of them are 7 foot tall. And these guys are basketball players. They're freak, nature, uh, freak of nature jumpers and athletes. And so they have this thing. Can you see it? It's, it's called the vertical jump test. Okay, and they use this for basketball players to measure what their vertical jump is. 
Now, here's this guy, Zion Williamson, who weighs 285 pounds. That's a big guy. And he was doing that. I said, Zion, it's your turn. Get up there and jump. And so he jumps, and he's way over the, the very top of the test. And so they said, okay, you're like literally off the charts. We don't even know what you are, what your vertical jump is. And so they said, well, we want to find out what it is, Zion. And so we want you to jump again. And this time they raised it up to the very highest that they could raise it. And he jumped. And once again, he was higher than the very, he, he, he reached all of the little clicks thing that you, that you click. And so they said, you are literally higher than the, the test. We, we have no way of measuring what you're doing right now. And so they took out some, some weights from their weight room, and they put these big weights underneath the test. And they're thinking, okay, now we have it raised to the fullest, and, and we have these weights underneath the, the test thing, and, and all we need you to do now is jump again. So three or four times, and I've actually seen this on video, he jumped higher. There, there was literally no limit to his vertical jump. And eventually he started getting tired. <laughs> 285 pounds. Needless to say, I'm excited to watch this guy play this year. But here's this guy. And you can see his head is clearly above the rim in this picture. And the question I'm asking you is if we look at life, if we look at our ability to jump over our obstacles that we're running into, we're facing daily, every single moment, how's your vertical? How's your perspective? Where are you at? Are you able to get above this? Let's look in Psalm 95. Thank you with the lights. Yeah, go ahead and bring those up. I just wanted you to have an image of, whoa, it is possible to, have, to be vertical in a horizontal world. For me, my basketball days right now, very horizontal. Almost no vertical at all. But that's not how I want it to be in my walk with God. That's not wanna, how I want to handle the Costco parking lot on a Saturday. I want to handle that vertically. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Let's look here. Psalm 95. Now this is a psalm that is, it, it, it's authorless, but we see from, uh, well it's not authorless, we just don't know who it is. But we see from Hebrews, if we could believe Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, which actually refers to Psalm 95 several times, we see that it's attributed to David. And so look with me. It says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. Imagine that. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care if only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness, 
For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. This is Psalm 95. We're going to go through it just, just really quick and, and look at a couple amazing things. But, but really, what's interesting about it immediately to me is it starts off, sing to God. Shout to God. He's a great God. And then the reflection is, who are we in relationship to God? And then the end of it is sort of like, whoa, hey, that's getting pretty heavy here, right? It ends with, with an example of what not to do. And it gets really heavy. And, and we're going to look at this because really it, it starts with praise and then it goes to reverence and then it goes to obedience, this is the, the way this goes. It, it goes from, from praise and delight and exaltation and just, just loving. You know what praise really is? C.S. Lewis defined it as delight expressed. Praise is when you enjoy something to the point where you just can't stay in your seat anymore. If you watch that touchdown pass that goes 70 yards, you cannot stay seated and you jump up and you go, yeah, way to go Raiders. Which hasn't happened in a long time. But, but really, that's what praise is. When you eat that pumpkin pie. And it's just so good and you've got to say, Mom, this is amazing. Or when something happens and you're, you're, you know, I don't know. It could be your girlfriend. And you just look at her and you're like, wow, you are beautiful. Or your wife. It'd be great to say that to your wife, men. Okay. Note to self. But, but that's what praise really is. It's, it's enjoying something so much. And, and then it goes from there to reverence. You know that word glory in Hebrew. The root word of that word glory means heavy. Where you see something and you're like, whoa. Wow. That's heavy. And where you encounter God and you feel, this is deep. This is too much for me. Like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, where he says, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live with a people of unclean lips. And I've seen and beheld God's glory. So it goes from praise to reverence to obedience. Where he references the people of Israel... And he's talking about some of their journeys in the wilderness. Specifically, he talks about Exodus 17. Write that in your notes. That's something you can read later. It's an amazing passage. I'll talk a little bit about it, but we don't have all the time to go through that today. But Exodus 17. And, and he talks about how they had a, a picture of how powerful God was. They encountered God in his miracles and in his glory. They had praise. They had reverence. But it never got to the point where there was obedience. Where when God said, now I want you to go into the promised land. Or now I want you to trust me in the wilderness and you're thirsty and you don't know where the water's coming from. The obedience is where they just, they weren't able to follow through. 
So how about you and me? Here we are, we're talking about vertical living in a horizontal world. And the first thing I want to bring out to you guys, and this is in verses 1 through 5. Remember who God is. One of the first ways we see from, from Psalm 95, how we can live a vertical life in a horizontal world. With your coworkers, with the obstacles, the tasks, the different things that you have all during your day, the worries and the fears that you face. The relationship problems. Vertical living in a horizontal world. How do you do that? Well, the first thing is remember who God is. I love Pastor Ton. I love that I get to rub shoulders with this guy. He's our pastor of the Mian Church up here. And uh, he, he's an amazing man of God. And one of the things he said a few months ago that is just in my mind is if you have a big God, you have small problems. If you have small problems, you have a big God. If you have big problems, you have a small God. There's like this, this ratio. If you have a big God, you have small problems. Remember who God is. Look with me. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. The rock. It's interesting that he used that word rock of our salvation because in Exodus 17, the issue was, we don't have any water, Moses. We don't think God's with us anymore, Moses. Where's the water? They literally were taking up stones to kill Moses. And Moses cries out to God. He says, God, you got to help me out here. These guys are about to stone me. They're about to kill me with rocks. And so God says, just hit that rock. Wham! And he hit it with his staff. And water started pouring out of a rock. And it was a rock of salvation in the desert, and they saw it with their own eyes. They drank the water, but it didn't change their hearts. And so here's, here's he starts out this, this passage, and he says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him, for the Lord is a great God. Now, now listen, I love that it says shout joyfully. When was the last time you shouted joyfully? I really want to ask you guys this. And you don't have to, I mean, it might be awkward for you to blurt it out or whatever, but, but write it maybe on your chat card or something. When was the last time you really shouted joyfully? And for most of us, it was probably watching a sporting event. I, I mean, are we honest? I mean, there's not a whole lot of context in which we normally just like, whoa, you know, shout joyfully. Maybe you get a check in the mail and you shout joyfully. I, I don't know, but, but when was the last time you did that? This is a mandate in Scripture. This is a word of God, and it's a, it's a command. It's an invitation. It's a call to worship. And he's saying, come, let us, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the God of our salvation, the rock of our salvation. It's okay to shout. It's okay to be loud in church. Is it, do you realize that? This is not the library. You're allowed to be thrilled about what God has done for you. Did you know that? You're allowed to, to just be overjoyed. In fact, the best, purest praise is an overflow. It just comes out because you're just so amazed at what God has done. 
So shout joyfully to the Lord, the rock of our salvation. Now what's interesting about this is he's writing to a, a, a corporate group of people. I meet people from time to time that say, you know what, I've got a friend of mine, I play basketball with him all the time. And he says, you know what, I, I believe in God, I follow Jesus, but I do my worshiping in the hills with the streams and the brooks and the rivers and the, the rocks. Have you ever heard people talk like this? Yeah, I, I totally, I've met people like this. I do my worshiping on my own. It's a very personal thing for me. And that might be you. You might be listening to this and, and that might be you. And, and honestly, yeah, I do that too. But this is a command for us to do this together. Do you catch that? We're supposed to, together, one with another, sing and shout and be exuberant about the God, the rock of our salvation, for he's a great God. We're supposed to do that together. Some of you are looking at me with terrified eyes right now. You're like, oh my goodness, he's going to make us shout. No, I thought about it, but I decided not to. But, but the point is, we're supposed to be doing this one with another. That's why we sing at church. We're supposed to come together and be grateful together and worship and sing to God together. We're supposed to remember who he is together. That's what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do that singularly on our own, privately, yes. But we come together to, to fulfill this command. Now, let's move on from there. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For he is a great God. The Lord is a great God, a king. A great king above all gods. He holds in his hands all the depths of the earth. The mightiest mountains. I'm thinking of Ken Vaughn and the Himalayas right now. You know, Pastor Dan and Linda are going to be there soon. I've actually gotten a chance to fly near the Himalayas, and it's amazing. It's breathtaking to look out the plane window and see mountains that are higher than the plane is flying. Absolutely breathtaking. And he's saying the mountains are his, and the seas, the ocean, it's all his. He holds it together, and the sea belongs to him. In verse, can't even see, verse 5. The sea belongs to him. Now the sea in the ancient cultures was, a, was the, this was the source of everything mysterious and scary and, and unknown. And it was something that was scary to them. And he's saying the sea is in his hands. That means everything that's unknown and scary in your life is in his hands. Everything you can't control, everything that might seek to limit you is in his hands. This is why we sing. This is why we shout for joy. And then he changes gears a little bit in verse 5. The first thing is remember who God is. That's how you live vertically. And the second thing is to remember who we are. Remember who we are. And it says in, in verse 6, look with me. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Today, if you would hear his voice, 
and not harden your hearts. As the Lord says, do not harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah. So remember who we are. That word worship is a Hebrew word, shakha. Okay? It's my best pronunciation of it. But it literally means to submit yourself, to prostrate yourself, to, to bow down. That idea of because of the heaviness and the glory of God, I bow down. And in the Greek translation and in the Greek New Testament, we also see that that word worship is proskuneo, which means to kiss towards, that idea of bowing down. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, because of who God is, remember who we are. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us kneel before him. When was the last time you knelt? When was the last time you bowed down before Almighty God? Because you realized who He is, and then you realize who you are in respect to who He is. And the only logical response of that was to bow down before a holy God. When was the last time, and a, and a lot of us, we, we think, you know, oh, I, I bow down in my heart. And it may be, I mean, I've got two bad knees, but I don't ever want to get to the place where I don't, I don't bow down all the time. I've got Muslim friends of mine that are Muslims. Old men, young men, fat guys, skinny guys. And you know what they do in their worship? They bow down. They touch their face to the ground. Because they believe their God is holy. They believe their God deserves that. How much more should we do that for our God? He's the real God. It says he's, he's the God above all gods. He's the great king above all gods. Shouldn't we be bowing? Shouldn't that be normal for us? And remember, he's talking as a group. It's, it's kind of a weird thing for us that... that I don't want you to see me bow. And I, I grew up in, in a tradition. It was here in, in this very campus. And it, I'm not saying this was preached. I'm not saying that at all. But this is what I inferred. And this was the culture in which I was raised. That it's, it's a very reverent and stoic moment when you're in church. And you sing standing on the promises and you maybe have a smile, but that's, that's pretty much what you have. And I was never taught this verbally, right? Like, if that was never something that was preached to me, that you should never, ever raise your hands. It, it was never like that. But I just, I grew up thinking, you know what, I, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to, you know, get all emotional here. And, and that's kind of how I grew up. I remember, like, me and my friends, like, Seeing somebody raise their hands in church and like nudging them and saying, hey, look at that wacko. Look what they're doing. You know, that's just kind of what I grew up in. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. I, I guess I'm blaming myself. But it was, it was me having an incorrect understanding of what God in his word is calling us to do. In Jewish cultures, 
Their worship is undignified. They bow. They, they hold their hands up. And they do these things because he's a great God. And, and he deserves our praise. Now, if I could just talk personally, when I left Reading and went away to college, went to a, a Bible school, I think it's the greatest one ever. It's called Moody Bible Institute. And it's in Chicago, Illinois. And it was, it was there that I began to realize, hey, wait a second, I've got a, I've got a blank canvas here. I, I could make my own choices. I could be who, who I want to be. And I could, I could be who I believe God wants me to be. And, and I remember like at these chapels, we'd sing and we'd, we'd sing worship songs, we'd sing hymns. And every once in a while, I would, I would go like this. Just barely put my hands out a little bit. And I remember across the way from me, I don't know why, I always sat in the same spot. I don't know why we do this as humans. We kind of always sit in the same spot, right? Isn't that weird? Anyhow, so there was always a guy across from me, though, that when he would sing, he had, like, tears streaming down his eyes. And I could see from across the way, and he was just screaming it out with his, all his heart, and his hands were high, and his head was back, and he was just singing with everything he's got. And I began to think to myself, I wonder if... First of all, I thought I would never, ever be like that crazy wacko over there. But then after a while, I started to think to myself, I wonder if he has something that I don't. I wonder if there's a reason. And, you know, I, I, I began to just focus vertically in my times in corporate worship. I began to, even though we're all together, I began to just sing to him. And I wanted to just, just say, Lord, what can I do? What are you asking me to do even right now? And so with my eyes closed, it really helped me. I began to just raise my hands and sing. And it wasn't because I was trying to manufacture or cultivate something. It was because in my heart I wanted to sing to God. And I felt this is what he was asking me to do. And as I did that, this connection with God began to grow. And it's not about raising your hands. It's about listening and obeying. It's about responding to what the Spirit is, is asking you to do. And then I, I, I re read this passage, and, and I read passages where he's, he's saying, you should bow down. And so I, I would begin to bow down before God. And honestly, I've never gotten over that. When I was in India and felt alone, when we were in tough times, when we were in scary times, you know where I found God? Each and every time, he was right here if you're going through something this is where he is this is where you'll find him don't be proud don't be sophisticated remember who you are in relation to a mighty God and I understand some of us have physical limitations go to the very extent of your physical limitations but it's vertical when we're here together. 
We're here worshiping together. We're here for one another. But we're singing to the great God. We're worshiping the king above all gods. Remember who we are. Proskuneo. Shaka. That, that, those words literally mean to bow down before him. To submit yourself. You know, worship is a big word. Honestly, worship is a big word that has become something that we refer to as music, meaning worship. Did you know worship is so much bigger? Worship has components of awe, of delight, of enjoyment, pleasure, beauty. It's emotional. Worship also is, is desperation. There's components of being desperate and, and submitted and, and, and willing to just be abandoned to whatever the, the thing you're worshiping is asking of you. And, and it's a spiritual thing. It's also a physical thing that implies giving and sacrificing and doing and, and obeying. That's, that's worship. And worship is one of those huge words that we throw around. As Christians, you want to know what worship really is, I, I believe? This is just the Ben Sprague definition, so it's probably got some holes in it. But whatever is at the center of your life, it's what you're worshiping. Did you know we all worship? You worship every day. But we have so many things in our lives that usurp God's place. Because God created trees for us to see them and praise him. God gave us taste buds so that we could taste that steak and praise him. Everything that's good about life, everything you enjoy about life is a gift from God that he gave you so that you could better taste him. You could better see him. Everything that you love. Everything that's good in this world is something he gave you as a way to acknowledge him and his glory in your life. And so when we just stop with football and we say, I love football, but we don't acknowledge God, it's because of you that I'm able to enjoy this. It's because of you these players are able to perform. It just, it really becomes idolatry. Because we're stopping with the creation instead of looking at the creator. Do you understand? Are you guys with me? This is, this is what we're talking about. Worship is whatever's at the center of your life. Whatever you would give everything for, that's what you're worshiping. Whatever you, you give your free time to, that's what you're worshiping. Whatever has your thoughts and your desires and your emotions, that's what you're worshiping. Now, if you just stop at money, that's idolatry. But if you acknowledge that God has given you money and you say, thank you, God, I praise you, Lord, I want to use this for you, that's worship. Do you understand? That's worshiping the living God. You could do that with surfing. You could even do that with Xbox. That's right, you guys, I said it. I think you can actually, whatever is in your life, you could worship and acknowledge the living God in that. What about your occupation? Could that be worship? Absolutely. You could actually 
run electrical lines as an act of worship to the living God. Whatever it is, you could do it. This is what God is saying here. And the last thing I want to just say is remember who we are. And then the third thing, remember our choice. Remember our choice. Now, where this really takes a turn for me here at the end here is in verse 6. Now, this is a, an interesting couple verses, and it's a little tricky in the Hebrew, but it really is a transitional statement, okay? And it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people he watches over the flock under his care. If you would hear his voice and listen to his voice today. Now, there's, there's a couple ways to, point, uh, to, to translate that. And it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And then you can translate the next line. It could be, oh, that you would hear his voice today. And I love that translation, that, oh, that, that, like, that heart that just, oh, I, I wish you could. I wish you would. You can feel that in, in the author and what he's saying. It can be translated, oh, that you would hear his voice. It can also be translated, today, if you would hear his voice and not harden your hearts. And I believe both are applicable. And in Hebrews, we see that that's how they translated it. Today, if you would hear his voice and not harden your hearts. Now, there are two things that really haunt me about this. Two words. The first one is today. Today. That's a powerful word. He's saying, he is our God, and we are his people today. That means not yesterday. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes. Did you know that? Some of you actually do know that. Make them all the time. And I, I don't try to make them. I'm not like, you know what? It's Monday. Time for a mistake. No, I, 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 I mean well. I try hard. But I, I still I make mistakes. But you know what? God doesn't require yesterday of me. And you know what? Tomorrow, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. God's not requiring tomorrow of me. He's not requiring my tomorrow. The only thing God requires of you and me is today. That's the only thing he asks of us, is today. Tomorrow is not yet here. Yesterday is gone. I can't control what I did yesterday. But today, today is my today his. Will I worship and bow down and hear his voice today? And then that second word that haunts me is if. Whenever you see if in the Bible, you really should pay attention. Do you know why? Because if is a conditional clause. Do you understand what I mean? If implies there's a conditional statement here. Today, if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts. As they did at Massa. As they did in Meribah. The word Meribah means argument. Exodus 17 the place of argument, Meribah. 
Massah, the place of testing, where they tested God. They were saying, Moses, is God even here? Is he even here? We don't believe he's even here. We're going to kill you, Moses. Massah, that place of testing. And he says, listen, today, he's your God. You're the people he watches over today if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts. Is your heart hard? Are our hearts hard? See, here's, here's the big kicker is the people of Israel, they saw the glory of God. They saw the power of God. God came through for them several different times. The Red Sea parted. They had a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke in the day. And they still looked at this and they said, where's God? And that's me a lot of times. When financial hardship comes along or, or when, you know, something happens with your kids and your struggles. Where's God? He's not here. What do we do? Today. How long has it been since you've been moved by God? Since you've heard from God? You see, he's available to be your God. Today, if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts. There have been so many times where Nicole and I have been broken because we heard from God. I remember one time, this was years ago, Nicole was having a hard time with the idea of moving away to India and taking our kids to a dangerous place. And we went to this conference. You remember this, Nicole? And, and uh, we were struggling and we were scared. And, and Nicole especially, she's like, Lord, I just can't take my kids into that environment. I can't risk my kids. I can't take them into such an unsafe place. And she was praying and singing and she heard from God, give your kids to me, and I will take care of them. And it broke her. Tears, snot, the whole thing. It was a moment of broken obedience. And she heard God's voice, and she obeyed. And she said, God, I'm going to give you my kids. And you know what he did? He took that fear. He took that fear and he gave her the strength and the power to move her family to Bihar, India. Now, what about you? When was the last time you heard from God? When was the last time you heard from God? I've got to land the plane here. There's so much to talk about. We're going to keep talking about this next week. But what we'd like to do is really make God the center we want to make God the center of our hearts, the center of our worship. Whatever that means for you this morning, that's what we'd like you to do. 